Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to our next edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Pete Sampson, Tim Priest, or Tim O'Malley were day after Notre Dame's first practice, but um, around Notre Dame, the news of the day clearly is the death of Eric Parsegian, 94 years old. Uh, incredible life, and it's been a, a really remarkable morning to read some of the retrospectives that have been written about him, um, some good ones on Irish Illustrated as well. Tim Priest, or a Kind of a, a first-person account, and then also talking with uh, Frank Pomerico, captain, tri-captain of the 1973 National Championship yep. team. Um, you guys are quote-unquote Notre Dame guys uh, who you know have are, have roots in the area. Tim Priester, in particular. I mean, what um, could you give people a sense of what it was like to grow up in that time? When I mean, it's really sort of like the golden age of yeah, it really was Notre Dame football yeah, and, and and the university in some ways. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it was a different game, and it was it's a lot harder to win now. I, I get all that, but I mean, he was a guy that obviously. At, I mean, he's at Northwestern. He beats Notre Dame four years in a row. He's the obvious choice to become the next head coach because Notre Dame had floundered uh, for many years prior to that. Any, I mean, they, they really come within a, a a very controversial call at USC in his first year from from winning the national championship. Uh, they weren't going to bowl games at that uh, point, but you know, I as a kid growing up, I was eight when I met him. It was magical to to be to be around him, and then to grow up and then enter this profession and get to know his assistant coaches on a personal basis and get to know some of his four former players like Frank Pomerico. There's no better former player to talk about Eric Parsegian than Frank Pomerico. He literally wrote the book on him uh, just a couple years ago. But, you know, my experience wasn't with with him was that, I mean, the story I wrote was the aura of Era, and he had that about him. And yet when I, you know, got to know him as an adult, it wasn't, it wasn't so much an intimidating factor. And that's what a lot of his players talk about you know, he was approachable. He was somebody that cared about you. I literally have never talked to a person um, that that worked with Era or knew Era that had a bad thing to say about him. He was a guy with an imperceptible ego, if he had one at all. Um, just a really, really neat guy. Probably one last thing before I let Tim talk about him a little bit, but. I, I knew Tom Pagna really well. I knew Tom Pagna better than Eric Parsegian. Tom Pagna was his right-hand man, his first lieutenant. And he was the one that mainly taught me about Eric Parsegian and what kind of coach he was, but more important, what kind of person he was. Really very special. Anytime somebody passes away, there's a tendency to say nothing but good things. I don't know anything bad about Eric Parsegian. Nobody ever said anything to me about with regard to that. Yeah, I read somebody mentioning that today. There's no, there's especially in this profession. There's no such thing as someone where you can't find a bad word about the guy from anyone. Like, oh, let me tell you the real truth about this guy. That's that's not the way it exists for Era. It's another example, one of the rare things of a football legend where his life afterwards is much more important um, because he's a football legend. He was able to have that. He 
it's you know he touched the South Bend community for forty years after absolutely he, after he retired from coaching, which is <laughs> remarkable. I remember being one of my first games ever. I was about eight or nine. Uh, I guess I was eight, and Jerry Faust, the uh, anger had already come through the stands um, year two, and people were already sick of the new head coach and. Two, two uh, coaching regimes removed, I heard someone screaming behind me because it was pouring rain. If Error was here, he'd stop the rain. And then somebody else really mad behind him yells and win the game. And they were just thinking to myself, <laughs> wow, they really like this guy when I was a nine-year-old. So that's, what I'm, that's, that's my first lasting memory of leaving Notre Dame Stadium. And that was, you know, seven years after he had left. And they won a national title. They, they were still calling for him back at that point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's remarkable. I think in this day and age, media and fans, we make way too much out of college football coaches as if they are demigods and molders of men and just they're they're not they call plays and they recruit guys and, and they're making they a lot play. of money and they're trying to win right. and that's first and foremost and Parsegian was Parsegian was wound tight he wanted to win as badly as anybody but my point is basically the I think era Parsegian is one of the reasons we do that because we talk to players who played for him yeah and the way he's made out to be I think he did have that kind of a, a lasting lifetime impact on guys that I think we expect all coaches to do, and just it's just not that way. I mean, he was really one of a kind. I mean, I think he's around Notre Dame. He's sort of one of the last legends here, and you look at uh, Father Ted Hesburgh passing away two years ago in Era Prestige, and now it sort of, in some ways, closes closes the book on, on a time at Notre Dame that was was really unique and, and formative for the university. Yeah, I mean, I include Lou Holtz in the in the sure. group of, yeah. of of legends, certainly. Um, Probably a more flawed man right. than 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 Aram himself, and I and that would be a more complicated yeah absolutely yeah absolutely um, and and Coach Holtz would be the first to admit that yeah. as well. But yeah, pretty unique. And for me as a kid growing up, I mean, literally my first memory is Notre Dame Michigan State in nineteen sixty six. That's literally my first memory, and it that involved Aram Parsegian, and I met him as a kid when I was eight years old, and you know. It's just crazy to think that you you're standing there in front of Eric Parsegian, you know, in his football office, um, talking to a man of of such uh, great distinction. But uh, God bless him, and he's in a much better place because the guy was 94 and suffering, and in typical Parsegian fashion, probably hung on a little bit longer than because we were alerted to this a month ago, but he fought through, and uh, finally the fight is over, and good for him. No real easy segue into training camp, um, but we'll try to make one since we were out at Culver Academies yesterday for Notre Dame's first practice. Uh, we got the full viewing, pushing three hours, I believe, and uh, I was sort of expecting them not to really practice the whole time, but they pretty much did. Um, they did break it up where there was sort of a, an OTA feel for segments of it where it was just sort of like a freshman practice almost towards the end of it, but... Um, Got to learn a lot about where guys are lining up and who the coaching staff thinks is ready to go among the younger players and, and who they're not. Um, but there were, I thought, some some remarkable takeaways. You never really know what you're getting from Brian Kelly when he talks about injuries. You don't know who's ready and who's not. But uh, clearly there were some guys who have bounced all the way back, one in particular who happens to play cornerback. Uh, it, his recovery ability to recover is remarkable, Sean Crawford. He does not look like he had any injury last year. He tore his Achilles. It's ridiculous. I mean, he he yeah. breaks on the ball like there's nothing wrong with him. The break, the interception that he made that was that was Fink, and it yeah. was a it was a curl route. And you and I were both watching it, and 
you know, he's in his backpedal, and Fink is fat. Fink is quick as hell, and he makes the break. There's no way Crawford's going to come up and make that play, and he does. And that that that's that moment where, okay, I guess he's completely healthy. You certainly hope that that can remain, um, you know, that way all not only preseason but but all, all uh, regular season. But uh, he was a clear standout within the first. 10, 15 minutes of the practice. It's amazing to me that the most explosive cornerback in the United team has torn his ACL and his Achilles. <laughs> and it's like not really close. I mean, it's, there's not a debate to be had about the most explosive cornerback with the best makeup speed at Sean Crawford. Um, but the three others looked really good. The three yeah. other corners looked really good. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was a good day for those three yeah. corners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, well, Dante Vaughn and Julian Love, yes. Uh, Troy, it was not a good day for Troy Pride, who... Oh, yeah, Nick Watkins. Yeah, the three sophomores. But yeah, Nick Watkins, I thought, looks like a starting cornerback should look broad-shouldered, physical. I mean, I think somebody that you would put in a, a boundary situation where the short side of the field where you just got to beat somebody up. Um, I think Nick Watkins has a, has a chance to be a frontline player. They, I think we came into camp expecting cornerback to be the strength of the defense. I think Linebacker will be a better position top to bottom, but I think you look at the, the first four corners, it's a really nice group. Yeah, I kind of stumbled my way through in the instant analysis talking about what, what Brian Kelly was saying with regard to the corners and being able to move Julian Love to safety. But, I mean, he was almost receptive to me bringing it, bringing yeah, it up. I don't know if you practice. were. I yeah. thought it was a uh, um, – I was waiting for you to do that maybe after Saturday, but, you know. <laughs> it, I don't, it just seemed like the thing to ask at, at, at the time, and, and he he jumped at because he said, you know, it's the keys Dante Vaughn, as I said in the instant analysis, you can have two six one corners in Watkins and Vaughn. You can move Love to, to safety, which eliminates one of the safeties that I, we're all concerned about. And in Crawford – Crawford has to be your nickel back. He's just – yeah. He's way too good at playing that position, you know, not to be. So that gives him some flexibility, and yet you still have to. I mean, these other safeties have to develop. Uh, I don't know the severity of Jalen Elliott's injury yesterday. It looked like lower thigh or knee, and hopefully it was lower thigh. But, uh, you know, Devin Studd still still doesn't really do anything to – to my uh, uneducated eye, to say that he's ready to play, I think he struggles in coverage consistently in a one-on-one and seven-on-seven. That's kind of disconcerting. That's not the whole game. I, he actually he ran a little better in team. Did you where, where there's a whole scheme and he's not covered an entire field? Do you agree with that? That it's I, not. I, like, I would agree with that, but I just uh, his reaction time is not. It, it's just it, it's just not as quick as it needs to be. When you see the way Julian Love and the way. Uh, um, Crawford play, you see what a reaction time is supposed to be. And I realize those guys are corners and he's a safety, but he's got to have a better reaction time. Nick Coleman limited, um, really, for the most part of practice with uh, what's probably a lingering ankle injury from conditioning. I'm sure that, that they're just taking precautions there because he was not held out. He was taking part in things. And maybe that we would have felt felt better yeah. about the safeties coming out of there had he been healthy and, you know. Yeah, I mean, because that's, that's you know, Gil, Aloha Gilman. Um it's really hard to watch safeties and linebackers and running backs in a practice when they're not allowed to hit each other. So you're just wondering, boy, Gilman didn't look that great, but he was covering Chase Claypool. And I would assume Navy's safety wouldn't look great covering Chase Claypool one on one, right? That, yeah, that's what you're looking at. I guess most safeties can, don't run but, with Chase Claypool. No, but point. you can get it. You can get hands on them. You can you can you can reroute a little bit, you know. And 
Uh, and Canteen ran by him too. And I can't figure out. Canteen's got a long stride. I mean, sometimes I saw him run your state and I thought, oh, okay, I see why they're talking about speed. Other times I wasn't quite sure about that. But he ran by Gilman and uh, he's a long strider. So, I mean, obviously he's. You know, I, Pete, I thought you made a, a great point with regard to the receivers. I mean, if the receivers were so good, they wouldn't have two transfers in yeah. here. You know, that that one one was run with the first unit, the other one's one of the top slot guys. It's not a tight end. Yeah, it's it's a strange situation because I, I think there was this reaction yesterday from some other media members who were like, well, Notre Dame has this abundance of playmakers here at the receiver position. I don't, I don't feel that way at all. Um, they have potential guys there with guys like Claypool. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they have well, I mean, potential and, and Boykin, guys. I mean, I think we look at Boykin, we saw the spring, yeah. you feel good about him. Uh, we know what Stefferson can do if... We'll get to him. We'll get yeah. to him. Yeah. But I mean, to but... me, it's like the receiver <laughs> position, you have Ecumenius, and then you have a, a lot of question marks, and you have to fill two positions, but you have essentially 12 candidates to do yeah. it. What? Somebody, it's like somebody will rise to the top there and probably be... A good receiver, but I think to say like Notre Dame is loaded with depth and quality depth at the wide receiver position, I don't, I, I can't go there yet. I feel like you don't have to fill two positions because Mac is taking one of them with two tight ends. Yeah, so one and a half. Yeah, maybe. one and a half situation. You know, he's he well, can't not I, play yeah. every play every. Yeah, snap, yeah but, there's yeah. no doubt. He's just so impressive to see him in person. But I mean, Chris Fink's a player. Okay, I mean, can we can we just get past the fact that he was he'll be involved? Yes, he was he a walk on. Yeah. He. He's a productive football player. He was productive at the end of last year when he had an opportunity. He was productive in the spring. He was productive yesterday. He's a good football player. He's going to be in the mix at receiver. I think he's better at getting open than most of their team, but I do think if they're really making the switch that you actually do want the lineup of Miles Boykin and Alizé Mack and Chase Claypool and Equinemius because they're bigger guys that can block. And if they're really making the switch to running first, Chris Fink is and C.J. Sanders are the only guys that we know that's not going to help you blocking downfield, Chris Fink and C.J. Sanders. So that removes him a little bit from some packages. If you want a blocker on that play, put it up. Right, I agree. I think third and nine, it's clear Chris Fink is going to get open more than some of these other guys. And we don't see that out of C.J. Sanders. We do see it out of Chris Fink. Yeah, I I think that's fair to say. It's uh, C.J. Sanders is kind of hard to get a read on right now because he was running third team, and this was a guy who was a clear starter at the beginning of last season. He had a good beginning to the season, really. Yeah, and was very impressive. I mean, you watch some of them, you're like, that kind of reminds me of, like, poor man's Golden Tate out there a little bit, you know, the way he would catch sort of slip screens and weave through traffic and, and do those sorts of things, and um, it just has kind of fallen off for him. Um, in the tight end position, I we did see a bunch of two tight ends. I didn't really work this into my practice report as much as I should have. Um, but when the practice started, they weren't going two tight ends. It was just like your base right. three receiver. With Cameron three, Smith in the yeah, lineup. Yeah, three by one. Um, once I got into more seven-on-seven seven type stuff, uh, or not seven, but more 11-on-11, 11 11, I should say, that's when I think we saw some more two tight ends come out. And you, Alizé Mack would often be lined up outside the numbers or he'd motion through the backfield. We saw Cole Komet and Breck Wright in there at the same time with the twos. Um, I don't really know how that's going to shake out with the reps, but I do feel like they're going to have at least four guys who can play uh, effective football this year. Maybe they'll have five, but it's um, 
It's a position that I think Notre Dame will be able to lean on more than they have, certainly than they did last year, uh, and maybe yeah. for the last couple of years. I, I, I'm higher on Wisher than than you are. I, and I know he had a bad day yesterday. I think he can play. I think he's proven he can play. I think they have five legitimate tight ends. You know, the thing that we don't see is can Brock, you know, Brock Wright, Cole Komet, adjusting routes on the fly. You know, the yeah. nuances of playing the position. We don't know whether they can do those. So. I think Nick Wisher's still right in there. He had a tough day catching the ball yesterday. I mean, that was the main thing. Yeah, I think you just see the upside of the other ones. You, c- you can't help but be infatuated well, Komet, with that. Komet's got, I mean, when you look at Komet running around a field, I'm not saying he's L.J. Mack, but he is that part yeah. receiver, part wideout, part tight yeah. end. Big body, athletic, really, really impressive. I mean, just, just... Seeing it just in person on the hoof, so to speak, Cole Komet's more impressive than Brock Wright, I think, just when you see him for the first time. Yeah, I think where Brock Wright is going to excel is in a detached role. I agree. You that's know. that well, because they only really only have one attached, and right. that's Smythe. And I think Brock Wright is good be number at it. two uh, yes. in that department. Yes. Because that's where I think Wisher runs into trouble a little bit. It's like no doubt. everyone else is a little bit better in some of these specific roles than, than he is. But, you know, look, it, tight end is a, it, it's a car crash <laughs> position. Um, yeah. There are usually one or two or three injuries. Um, I think Notre Dame will be able to withstand it much better this year than yeah. they have in the past. Uh, we haven't talked about quarterbacks, which is a little bit weird. Uh, but Brandon Wimbush, I thought, looked good. Um, is he picking up where Deshaun Kaiser left off? No. I thought it was interesting to hear Brian Kelly talk about the, the zone read being more efficient. Uh, than maybe it was at the end of spring practice. I didn't think that that was a real effective part of Notre Dame's offense for the last two years, whether it be Zaire or Kaiser running it. But I do like the idea of... Three years, even. Yeah, Colson really. Also, really, it's been a... Oh, God. Ever. Was, yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. Don't say ever. Colson could not yeah. read it. It's he never been an read effective it. part of Notre Dame offense. To imagine Wimbush faking to Adam's hitting it vertical, and then kicking it outside with the sort with of the, the, the double play option. action, yeah. which we, we did see some of that yesterday. There was one play where I'm pretty sure Cameron Smith just ran the wrong play because Brandon Wimbush sprinted out to throw it to him, and Cameron Smith was standing right in front of him trying to block somebody. <laughs> um, but that, that can just be so effective. I, I think that Josh Adams, in tandem with Brandon Wimbush, has a chance to be pretty lethal. Um as a, whether it's a run threat or a play-action threat. Uh, we did see a bunch of short passing games stuff yesterday. I, I am, throughout the uh, spring, right? I am, a, I am an ardent opponent of the short passing game as an extension of the run game. It's not. But when it's a double... <laughs> I'm on board with okay, you there. But, yeah, but, yeah, when it's like, yeah. but when it's like the double play-action thing... I'm a little bit more inclined when it's when it's one of three options opposed to one of two options. Then I'm okay with some short passing stuff to set others. Well, it's up. just a, it's a misnomer because the, you lose the physicality yeah. of the run game when you're throwing screen passes. So I don't think it's I think it's kind of an apples and oranges thing. But on the defensive side of the ball, um, I mean, t- I was sitting with Tim. Tim had the defense, and so we were going back and forth and. Um, you know, probably one of the best practices we've ever seen Jerry Tillery have. Yeah, and he needs to do it again Saturday because I'm yeah. sure Brian Kelly would have answered that was one of, when he watches the film. That was one of his best practices. But we always want to find out if they come back and do it again. Drew Tranquil even made a point. He's like, "Look, I love getting out here to practice. 
instead of conditioning. But we'll see how much we all love it at 6 in the morning tomorrow. Yeah. When we it, wake up exactly. and we just feel our bodies. And it should be noted that Tillery didn't do any of the damage that we saw against Sam Mustaford and no, Alex no, Bars and constant Quentin Nelson. He yeah. constantly was battling. He had a couple good battles with Bars where, it, you know, if you don't know who wins, sometimes that's okay at nose tackle, right? I mean, that's, yeah. he wasn't getting well, moved around that's true. Yeah, that's true. And, Bo- you know, I, I thought Bonner had a good day, too. But, you know, Bonner is, what's it? He's listed like 6'4", 290. He's, yeah, he's, and he's, he's, he's not 6'3 and a half, 291. He just he's, doesn't look that not. big. I mean, <laughs> I just, just, and so the big concern with him is it's just going to be a leverage game yeah. in there. And he's not a natural playmaker anyway. He's not Sheldon Day. He's not going to be creasing stuff and making plays behind the line of scrimmage, per se. And so you worry about that. But, bottom line, the, 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 the starting, the projected starting nose tackle and three technique had good days yesterday, and we saw it in person. And you would really like Jonathan Bonner if he was the projected backup three technique, right? Yes. That's took it. That, that if you look at it that way, if we can remove any criticism of the guy, he'd be, if you're like, man, he's your, he's your backup, that could work out, but he's not. There's a great he's opportunity. Head and shoulders ahead. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And there's a great opportunity. You know, we've only seen Heinish. Heinish looks like a real blue collar working man in there. Um, but you know, right now Co- the number he's coachable two, and gritty too, he's coachable right? and gritty. Let's okay, what other cliches can I throw out there? But but high motor, high motor. They don't have playmakers there, so that's going to yeah. be what yes. that it's that's going to have to be sufficient because right now the number two three technique is Mike Du Treadway, who the great the the two best things we can say about him Again. yesterday are he's got a great big body, yes, and he tried hard. Right. I'm glad we're talking about people trying hard in the first day. As this glowing endorsement of players, well, but, but yeah, no, I did too. That was lit. But I looked back at my notes. I was like, all I talked about is how hard they tried. Shouldn't they? Right? Well, not not every defensive <laughs> lineman did, including one of the most highly touted freshmen. Yeah, I mean, you got to start somewhere. Uh, I did. I didn't get a chance to watch Dalen Hayes at all yesterday, uh, other than walking off the field. And I was like. His shoulders look much bigger to me than I remember them. No, he he. he I think he looks the, the part. I mean, he's going to get three. bigger. He's yeah. going he's going to get bigger, but he looks the part now. He's their best chance as a pass rusher. End of story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think Julian Aquara is big enough or strong enough. Jay Hayes is going to be good against the run. No promises as a pass rusher. And Trim- and Jay Hayes promises <laughs> as a pass rusher, though he has said, "I'm a better pass rusher than you think I am." No, I'm not saying that. I don't see every one of his right. I don't that, see yeah. every one of his practices, so right. he would know better than we would. But I don't think we saw evidence of that. Andrew Trombetti was very impressive yesterday. Bigger, stronger, still quick. He was always quick, but he couldn't follow up a quick move with a power move. And I, I thought he showed a little bit of that yesterday. The ends look good. Those three ends look good. And in the jumping the gun way too quickly, Tim Priester and I were talking about how Trombetti's going to back up both ends. And Aquara looks like maybe he could take that redshirt season right now. <laughs> Just because he play, did, had to play last year. But that's, you know what? Let's watch Julian Aquara a couple more practices and coming off the edge. Well, and the other thing is you create and, mismatches where right. Aquara is not matched up against a 320-pound offensive tackle. And then you can see his athletic ability off the edge. I think my point about trying is <laughs> the best thing I can say about the interior guys is they tried really hard, and the best thing I can say about the ends is they looked like they were players. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Those, the ends look like they're players. Yeah, and if they're in a situation where they have four defensive ends who are going to go full speed for to, to fill out a, an 80-play game, that's an improvement over where they were last year because yeah, right. they didn't have that. They weren't getting that from their starters last right. year. 
So it's uh, that would be an upgrade. But uh, it, is it a college football playoff upgrade? No, but they're, they've got a lot of room for improvement. And that would just be one of them. And here we are making all these judgments on a practice in which they weren't in full pads. Yeah. That's yeah. why we can't talk about linebackers and, and or offensive like, linemen. Or offensive linemen. Yeah, yeah it's like so. that was the shortest of my notes. It's just like I didn't really have anything to say about the offensive line. Yeah. And Mike McGlitchie didn't either because he's like, I'm not in pads. I can't. Uh, I can't tell you how things yeah. are going for our group. I'm always, I'm always the one that's throwing out the disclaimer. Don't put too much into one practice. And I've just, in my mind, figured out exactly how the year's <laughs> going to unfold. We've redshirted. We've uh, called people up. <laughs> we, I do we've like. We sent somebody to the pe- to pastor that's a yeah, true freshman in this right, first practice. Right. Shame on me. You'd think I know after all these years. Um, Maybe next year. Maybe next, next year. All right. Well, that's it for segment one, Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got a bunch of questions from the readers, so we'll get into all that. Welcome back to segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. Burning up the boards. Our first question is from Helmet622. This has been on a lot of people's mind recently. What can you tell us about this guy named Stefferson? I was quite curious to see him... Uh, yesterday because it's not a question of is this guy talented or not he had the best catch of the day it was like one-handed twisting grab along the sideline it was outstanding and then he also has drops that just looks like he doesn't want to be out there uh it's it's very difficult to to watch him and understand what what's happening because the talent is undeniable but i think the focus and if you're going to wear shirts that say Attention to detail, details matter. <laughs> I think that's where Kevin Stefferson comes up short. Um, and I think that's probably keeping him off the field right now. He also had another play, uh, kind of a, a, a deeper crossing route where, when, Tim, you and I were talking about at the time when, you know, remember the spray, a couple springs ago when Brian Kelly said he has the ability to catch the ball at full, full speed. And when that was another play that he made yesterday. Oh, yeah, I mean, he snatches. Yeah, the ball I mean, out he there. he yeah he he literally he does not break stride on on those routes when he catches football. But but again, languishing at the back of the line, uh, and it's not it's you know it's one thing for it to be a drop. It's another thing to look like you don't care whether you dropped it or not. Yeah, he one of his drops, the last one we really saw because I was watching defense most of the time. But the drop I saw near the end, tail end of practice. His hands are down like you're playing in the backyard, and you have a beer in one hand, and you throw your hand out there. And it yeah. was just—it's like the pickup. It's like pickup game basketball. Right. Um, right. You throw behind the back pass for no reason, um, and sometimes it looks great, and sometimes it just well, flies it, out of yeah. And, you know, I P you made a point about the receivers. It's Equinemia St. Brown and a bunch of guys. Well, this is the second best receiver on the team. It should yes. be. He's not yes. a guy. He is a legitimate quality receiver. He should be starting. With Equimania St. Brown and Chase Claypool. That should be the starting lineup. But right now, the Absolutely. guy who should be starting is running third and 14. You know, I don't understand it. I didn't understand it when I had teammates like that. I didn't understand it when I coached kids like that. I I don't know. I mean, I don't know what goes through your head. But someday, and it usually happens, you look back and say, Damn, I wish I hadn't squandered the ability that I have. I didn't. I wasn't surprised that Stefferson was running with the third and fourth string to start practice. I was surprised he didn't care that he was doing that, by all appearances. Like, you know he's not going to come from a doghouse spring and say, all right, well, now you're a first string again. He was going to start there, but he looked like he belonged there at times. And, you know, remember last year, Alizé Mack, I, I bring this up a lot, he was suspended. And then the first day of practice, no one in the history of a football practice has tried harder than Alizé Mack in that practice. He was taking... 
rep after rep after rep on the sideline. Mm-hmm. He's doing. He's playing scout team defensive end. He's helping in every way he can. That's what you would hope Steverson would do after spending the spring in third string, where he just looked like he might play third string. I think uh, maybe a better comparison there would be Lewis Nix going into his senior year, I think, where he got dropped below Kona Schwenke in spring ball. Fall camp came around. That was no longer the case. Lewis Nix was back in the starting lineup. Um, Kevin Sefferson hasn't made that move yet. It's a long training camp. We saw one practice. We saw one practice. But, you know, I, I think they're definitely looking to get inside this kid's head to get him re-engaged. Does Cam Smith's starting have anything to do with it? I mean, Cam Smith's skill set would be similar to Stefferson's. Or is he I, just the next best guy that they... I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's... Yeah, I think it's a, it's a practice one thing, and we don't have an answer for it yet. All right, next up, Golden by Name. Historically, Notre Dame has had its best teams when their team captains are their best players. For example, Manti Teo, Tyler Eifert, Zach Martin in 2012. Do you think they're close to that scenario this year? I think Notre Dame's five best players in no order are Mike McGlinchey, Quentin Nelson, Niles Morgan, Josh Adams, and Equinemius St. Brown, and three of them are captains. And Drew Tranquil is a very good player that needed to be a captain, and Ger Martini is a really good player. So, yeah, they are close to it, right? I mean, it's yeah, I those know, are their best players. When, um, when, when you have standouts that are young, uh, they can't be captains, yeah, I wouldn't say St. Brown would be a captain. Uh, I thought Josh <laughs> Adams actually was going to be named a captain before the, they named everybody else. But this is, yeah, those are some of their best players. Um, I know the point is that you, there's three program legends here, Tail, Eifert, and Martin. <laughs> right. So that makes it look a lot... More impressive, and they were much better than the captains. Well, part of the reason they were they're legends is because they played on the 2012 season. (laughs) There's something to that, but I mean, look, look, compared to last year, Rochelle, McGlinchey, Anwalu, and Hunter, it's I think a clear upgrade in terms of leadership type personalities that are able to get up there and say something. I I asked McGlinchey about this because I mean we're watching the end of practice. Brian Kelly gives his talk, and usually they. Just disperse after that. Well, then McGlinchey gets up there and says something. And I asked him, you know, is that, is that something different? He kind of downplayed it and didn't really be like, oh, you know, I'll say something from time to time. And I was like, like during camp last year? He's like, ah, you know, maybe here or there. But when I asked Durham Smythe about it, he said, no, that actually is a, a big difference. And he feels like now there are personalities on the team that are comfortable in, in taking something over. And he referenced... I don't know if it, he meant his freshman year or sophomore year, but he's like, we used to have guys like that, and we have not the last few years. Um, so there's, it's at least one player acknowledging that there feels like there's a, a bit of a change in that department. I don't know. In, in a, in, I mean, it's a good question because I, I, I mean, I don't know the answer to it per se, but I don't know necessarily that you know, say one of your one of your best players is one of your most reserved and quiet players. Do you you know? Do you want that voice? As a captain, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. I do think McGlinchey's a heck of a captain, and I think Tranquil is going to be a heck of a captain. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you look back at 2012, Tyler Eifert was not outspoken. I mean, that was not a right. get-up-in-front-of-the-room type guy. And look, even 2015, Sheldon Day, Matthias Farley, Nick Martin, Joe Schmidt, Jalen Smith. That's a pretty good group. I mean, I, I Brian Kelly will tell you this. Like, your best teams are when your best players are your captains. Or your leaders. It, yeah, leaders. It, yeah, it doesn't always break that way. Sometimes, you know, Austin Collinsworth, Cam McDaniel, Sheldon Day, I think Nick Martin, was that was the 2014 team. So you had Day and Martin as sort of learning to do it. McDaniel and Collins were clear were not the best players on the team. Um, 2015, that was a lot different. Uh, 2017, 
don't know. We'll, we'll see. Uh, certainly Nelson and McGlinchey are, are way up there, and I think Morgan and Tranquil can beat as well. Swarbrick for Prez. After getting good sense of the, sense of the new coaches last spring, which one impressed you the most with their abilities to, to communicate with the players and effectively use every minute of practice to teach? On the same note, can you tell a difference in the relationships and interactions between the players and coaches from last spring to the first practice of fall? O'Malley? That's a. I mean, I think that's a. That's that's a difficult. It uh, is the relationship. Thing to spot. The relationship that stood out to me yesterday is because I was watching these two position groups during all the practice was Clark Lee and Todd Light, and Todd Light with the corners, he is able to give more direction. Every single play that Dante Vaughn, Troy Pride, and Sean Crawford made or didn't make, Todd Light was there, kind of helping them right afterwards. Um, I'm not saying he didn't do it with love or anything like that, but I happen to make note of it. There was a play where Crawford broke on the ball, and it's on the left sideline, and he tried to break it up jumping with his right hand, so it was his inside hand. Right. And because he missed it and the catch was made, that would open up the sideline for a very yeah, long run. Right, right. right stopped him and explained, you got to use your other hand so you can kind of hook him with this Todd, hand. Right, that, I, yeah. I saw that yeah. too, and that's it. Todd Light's voice... His, his voice carries. Yeah, so that's why I hear Definitely. all the instructions. I can, I can hear exactly what he's saying to people, yeah. so I think the instruction's good. As opposed to <laughs> quiet people where I don't know what they're saying to people. Yeah, it's like I, I was watching the offense. I don't know if Tommy Reese said anything the whole practice. I'm sure that he has said a lot, but it, I did no, not. No, you're, you're never going could to not hear, hear his it. voice. No. Um, Delvon Alexander, I could hear him a little bit. Um, he definitely got on guys. Was here Elston quite a bit. You can really hear Elston's voice. I think all four defensive coaches are yeah. pretty good communicators. Yeah. Chip Long, I don't... I, his voice didn't really stand out to me a whole lot. Um, He's not a vocal. We, that was the way in the spring, too. And that doesn't... That's neither good nor bad. Yeah. It's how you... how you. Yeah, that's what I mean about the communication. Right. I know, like, communicating because right. I can hear him. Yeah. That's, that's nothing to do with what's I, really going on. I think that Alexander will have a good relationship with the receiver. I think he will that's be the a main popular... Thing. I think he will be popular in his position room. I don't mean that in like, hey guys, look at the beaters I brought in. Like, I just like guys will respect him, yeah. and they will enjoy playing for him. I, th- I think they'll have a good. Some guys after. relate loudly. Some re- relate quietly. I wouldn't say one over the other is necessarily more effective. Just the ability, your personality, and your ability to communicate is the bottom line. Uh, Harry Harry Heastan relates quite loudly, yeah, and sometimes explicitly. And his offensive linemen freaking love the guy. Yeah. So uh, that 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 was definitely not a change yesterday. In you don't hear one. You, you you don't hear Denson much. You're nope, never you going to hear a quarterback coach much unless he's the offensive coordinator or the head coach. Yeah, Denson's yeah. not a yeller. He's not. Yeah, Denson's yeah, not a yeller. So um, I don't know. I wouldn't. I, I I don't know that I can. There's a perceptible difference in the the way they're being coached or the or the way they're responding to the coaching, at least based upon that one practice. C. Domer, given the anticipation for the season, it is easy for fans to overanalyze every practice report, especially the early ones. At what point in training camp do you typically draw firm conclusions from what you are seeing? Hopefully you take it all as a whole. Um, I will say we should probably flush practice report number one by the end because they weren't in pads. And Other than attitude and approach, right? I mean, you couldn't look at running backs, linebackers, offensive linemen. I did defensive linemen because there's a lot of one-on-one drills where you could kind of see pass rush drills. But there's so many guys you cannot analyze in practice number one that that's the one you got to put out of your mind as it goes along, and I would hope you just take the, the whole rather than the part. Yeah, well, uh, what we saw yesterday will mean less than what we see Saturday. Definitely. 
right? Yes. I mean, and it should with each with each of the five that we will see, that should be the case. I think it's a good question. At what point do you start to draw firm conclusions? Before the last one, before media day, because that's open to the public, and uh, there will be less shown in that one than there will be in these next coming couple. Right. Of it's up. all the it's yeah. probably the most important practices are the ones the that middle. we can't see. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> when they're kicking us out after ten periods for two practices, they're going to run right. some cool stuff, and we are yeah. not going to see it. So we'll make it up. First, bottom line: first practice tells you way more about the summer than it does about the fall. That's how I look at it. I like that's that. a good point. That's a, I think that's we need a very a solid point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have enough of them. Brian yeah. won USMC. It sounds like Darnell Ewell should redshirt, and hopefully it clicks sometime in next year or two, like Tillery Hayes, Nick, Gary Gray, etc. Or never like some others. Uh, okay, this would be... This falls under the overreaction first practice. And I'm guilty. Okay. I mean, we had said on this podcast and our message board that Darnell Yule didn't have a great summer at the beginning with workouts, but that he got better as the summer went on. I think the same thing will happen this month and probably every month that he's here. Um, so I think to draw any conclusions off Darnell Yule after one practice, I think would be insane. Probably in the same way that drawing conclusions on Lewis Nix after one practice would have been insane. So I, there's nothing, there's. There's just you can't answer this. No, question you can't. Right but now. I would say it's insane to say anything about Darnell Yule for November. But that if Darnell Yule is the number two nose tackle against Temple or Georgia, I'll be pretty surprised right now. Yeah, that would be something. Yeah, because that's a huge leap from. Look, I think when a guy is fourth running with the fours and he's talented, he's not a walk on. He missed his conditioning markers at Notre Dame. That is almost universally what you see from those guys that are in the fourth string not repping they didn't they didn't meet the condition i just don't understand that though because he's been here six weeks Uh, right middle of june 18 huh i mean i think there's they're 18 year olds some of them some of them really (sighs) lock into the conditioning and some don't and some guys it takes a while and some guys right and i'm not yeah i'm not saying you know i mean matt bayless is a is a great strength coach but you can only do so much yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's up to the kid to do it. I don't understand. I, I don't understand it. I thought it was whether I'm overreacting or not. I thought yesterday was very disappointing. To your point, Pete, that it speaks to it speaks to the conditioning. It speaks mm-hmm. to summer, and that was a huge missed opportunity. Secondly, body language counts. Body language counts to every coach, and his body language yesterday was terrible. I hold Stefferson more accountable. For that, that I do Yule because of the the spring. I think he should have. Sh- I, I can't get off this. He should have shown up and been the best player out there in terms of effort, because mm. he could start immediately. <laughs> if you're just the best player out there yeah. in terms of effort, he would be great. I agree. He'd be a great sophomore receiver in a balanced offense. But we know Darnell Yule is very very talented, and yeah. I again, Pete, I, I think that's a good point. I think from here on, you know, we'll get better every step of the way. You certainly hope so. For his sake, for Notre Dame's sake. The unfortunate thing is, and contrary to you know us, some of us saying that Barajas was the best player two years ago, they didn't need him right away. They need Darnell, Darnell Ewell that's right a, away, and yeah. they probably won't have him right away. That's a that's a fair point because I think in the summer and spring we probably well early in the summer before they got here. I think we looked at Darnell Ewell as a rotational player. Sure did year. on signing day. I mean, there was no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy that was going to come in and be second team 20 rep type player um he's a long way from that right now um, he is a non-traveler on road games right now 
Yeah, after after the first after day. one practice, yeah. <laughs> and it all comes back to the after. Yeah, one I just can't break the chain. <laughs> Irish ND twenty three. What is your favorite part of camp? What is your least favorite part of camp? Favorite part of camp. I like August camp. I just don't like the spring. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like. Yeah, the, the end of the spring. I'm just like I want to save all of this for a better story in the summer. Because this is totally useless right now for two days right before the Blue Bill game. This is... I like camp. Camp's fun. Well, I like tranquil. I, I like when... <laughs> <laughs> we like camp. I like when we can see it. I think by the third week when we start getting shut out and you start running out of... You just from a, from a work-related yeah, standpoint, yeah. you start running out of stories and you start, you get tired of speculating about things you've been speculating for three weeks. You know, that... that you're still talking about the same players, the same positions, the speculation... Runs dry at a certain point. Yeah, I, I I like the first one, and I like the second one maybe a little less. And the third one a little less than <laughs> well, the second one. Well, I think one. Saturday will be a lot of yeah. Saturday will be the most fun. Yeah, right? that's true. Pad, okay. Full pads. Once you get the pads yeah, on, yeah. Um, that's a that's pretty cool. I I don't know if there's anything I don't like about it other than just you know like what Priester was saying that you sort of run out of observations at some point yeah. and you kind of feel like you're forcing these like yeah i mean how many really yeah how many be, different ways can you describe yeah. a player how he moves what have you i'm i'm not good enough to know different ways on that note i know what i don't like about camp that we have to describe all the players cuz we don't talk to the assistants enough there you to go. describe Ooh, the players to us there you go because they know a lot about their players they actually know more about their players than any of the three of us do <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> so asking them questions about them would be It's cool. important. It is. Yeah. It would be great. Yeah, that, that would shed a lot of insight onto these guys. Well, and there's some, you know, I mean, I mean, there's some good interviews. These guys are good interviews. I, I, I'm looking at the defensive coaches. Yes. These guys are good interviews. We, we miss we miss an awful lot. Not, you know, because the reality is that in many instances, Brian Kelly is not in a position to accurately... Talk about some right. of the players. He, he's just not in position to he do that. He never saw Darnell on Ewell once yesterday. There's no way. Right. right. He was on the other field, practicing with walk-ons. I bet he knows about. He does know Darnell Ewell. <laughs> yeah, but it's just a different. I mean, you can't ask him about that. He has to get the report and, and want to share it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they're. I mean, the, most of the most assistants they've had. Do a great job of explaining things to you. Even the couple of ones that didn't like to talk. Like, yeah, Bobby didn't like to talk, but he was great at it. Harry Heastan doesn't like to talk. He's really, He's really good. He's yeah. really, yeah. really good. Brian Van Gorder didn't like to talk, and he wasn't he very was, good at it. Yeah. Actually, I... Like, no. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, you I did. thought I, he, I enjoyed our interactions with him. They were a little awkward at times, but... I, I like him was, a little was pretty as, Well, he, he can be brutally honest about a player, and you don't normally... That's true. If you get brutally honest, that's good. Yeah, everything's so sanitized now that you rarely get it. I don't want brutally honest, right? Well, I under, I get yeah. that I, yeah. I get that, but when Elston's you honest. when you find Elston's brutally honest, but the guys Elston? Mike Elston, yeah, the defensive yeah, lineman. You can yeah. get you can get him to talk about people, whereas Mike Elko does not want to talk about individuals. Yeah, we'll be curious because we get the assistance on media day for people who are wondering, like, do you ever get to talk to them? Um, no, actually, we don't we get them. Year. No, we get them. Or we get them the previous. Oh, yeah, they're not we don't on media get day. assistant coaches on media day. We get them in the previous media. Well, that's a drag. Day. Yeah, the, yeah. Oh, that's okay. A, oh, okay. We get them on the Wednesday. That that's usually a real drag day. because you know what that means. That means less time with them than you would have on them, have with them on media day. Mm. One of these days, you know, guys will be they'll be in a job for five years and they'll be walking out the door to take another job and they'll say, "Nice to meet you." 
That was uh, what Chuck Martin's last words to me as he was boarding the plane from Miami, Ohio. I can talk to you now! (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's probably a good way to wrap up this podcast. We'll be back on Monday, August 7th. Um, We'll get another full practice on Saturday in pads at Culver again. Uh, Brian Kelly and I think a handful of more players down there as well. So we will be back with our next podcast on Monday, August 7th. Of course, we'll have instant analysis and all sorts of coverage from the weekend immediately following training camp on August 5th, Saturday, back at Culver. So until then, you've been listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by Duloc Leadership. I'm Len Clark of Duloc Leadership. A DISC personality profile workshop will help you and your organization improve its communication, enhance team performance, and increase customer service. In other words, it will save you money. To learn more about a DISC facilitated workshop, contact me at 219-771-1004.